Welcome to the TPC Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Pentecostal Church is located at 3700 Kelly Highway in Fort Smith, Arkansas. With roots anchored firmly right here in the Arkansas River Valley, it continues to be a beacon of hope in a hopeless world and a hospital for hurting souls. TPC is a place where you can call home and fulfill your calling in the kingdom of God. Join us for this incredible word from the Lord today. How's everybody doing tonight? Sister Mallory, I am just honored that you came all the way over here from the other building. She actually met us at the truck, escorted us into the office, and treated us nice. Uh, we There's a little secret between us. Uh, she's got important people in her life, and uh, <clears throat> there's only one number one in her life, and we don't talk about it as long as we're around Brother Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> But we do have a little secret between us. I was thinking uh, the other day, and uh, with this this night on my mind, uh, y'all are acquainted with Brother Bill Thomas, most of you. Uh, If you know Brother Thomas, say amen. He's not here, is he? Where is he? Back. The back seat? That's what bishops do. They go from the platform to the back seat. I was thinking, Brother Thomas, if you never did anything else right in your life, there's two things that you did right. And uh, the first one that I'm in reference to was when he, he talked to me for about a year to come to Bentonville and assume the pastor of that church. And it was a hard sale. It was a little bitty town. Walmart was just getting started. And uh, there were no four-lane or three-lane roads. A couple of two-lane country roads that went through town was about it. And... Uh, he wanted me to come and raise my family there and take that church. And I fought it hard for a long time. And finally, him and the Lord, between the two of them, we agreed to go and uh, we were elected pastor. And the next year after that, our lives were pretty miserable <laughs> because of some challenges from other areas. But it was the will of God, and uh, there is my son and the church there. There great things are happening. So that's the first one you did I'm in reference to. And the second one was when he had Brother Sullivan come down here and start preaching for him on weekends. And I told Brother Sullivan, I said, Brother Sullivan, he's got something in mind for you. Oh, no, he don't. That's not why I'm going. I said, you, you mark it down. I know Brother Thomas. <clears throat> he's he's prepping for the opportunity to 
approach you about being pastor, and sure enough, here he is still tonight. And so, Brother Thomas, that's at least two things. You probably did a lot of other things right, but that was two things that you and the Lord got right in my life. And Brother Sullivan as well have been blessed because of that. So it's good to see you, my friend, and appreciate your investment in me. He, he let me come. I told somebody the other day, whenever I started preaching, you're either evangelized or pastored. That was all the ministry opportunities there were. And so we traveled for a while, and, and men like Brother Thomas allowed me to come and preach in that church. And I told my brother Jerry, I said, can you imagine us coming fresh out of Bible school, not knowing anything, and going to these pastors who didn't even know us, many of them, and put us up in their pulpit and let us preach for about a week. I can only imagine what they must have had to endure. But uh, Brother Thomas was one of those. We went and spent, I think, a couple of revivals with them. Uh, slept in their bedroom. They moved out. Had three boys. They moved out and let us have the back room. And... Uh, it was it's quite an experience to reflect back on. So most of the time's gone. Lord bless you. It's been good to be with you tonight. There is a clock on the back wall, so I'm going to try to be mindful of your time. And uh, <clears throat> when you when you get like I am, I don't preach a lot, so when I get a chance, you know, I have to kind of catch up. So. Lord bless you. Thank you, Brother Solomon, for the opportunity to be here and how we love the Solomon family. And we did become very good friends in that interim period of their lives before they came to Fort Smith. So after the history lesson, let's, let's just ask the Lord to, to bless the Word of God to our hearts for a few minutes tonight. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be with our church family here in Fort Smith. Thank you for every blessing you have bestowed upon us. Let the presence and power of the Holy Ghost through your word tonight do something that will strengthen and help us be ministry to us in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. It's good to have Sister Vale. Uh, see her sitting here. Uh, she was the church secretary there. She helped me out so much for a while. Appreciate her life and her investment in the church there. <clears throat> Let me begin by saying tonight, I, I'm going to talk about the church and the world and the danger of mixed multitudes. Uh, but before I get into that, let me say, don't form an opinion about uh, what that sounds like until I get into it. And after I'm finished, you'll understand. But I believe that a revival church is going to have a lot of diverse appearances and ideas because of the integrating of new people into the church. Going to church now is not like it was when I was a boy. If you had a visitor, a visitor, not some visitors, but if you had a visitor, you felt like you'd had revival. Uh, 
the blessings of the Lord. Now we have up to 25 first-time guests on a Sunday. Now that's just telling you the difference between when I started and what it's like now. And so as a result of that, there are a lot of diverse appearances and, of course, a lot of ideas as people are coming into the church. At the same time, we must be concerned about what one writer has described as a tipping point. Uh, the tipping point has always got to be toward the good and positive rather than the bad and the negative. Exodus 12:37 says, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. I haven't, either haven't ever seen this or haven't thought about it lately, which could be very well the case with me. But <clears throat> when I read that, a mixed multitude went up also with them, telling us, that there were more than just Israelites that had gone down into Egypt with their descendants now. There was more than just Israelites in this perhaps, uh, shall we say, safely say, about a million and 200,000 people uh, plus. They were a mixed multitude, and not all of them were Abraham's descendants. And so as they are coming up, it helps us to understand the indescribable value and importance of having the bulk of the weight on the proper side of the tipping point. When you say tipping point, I think of a scale with weight on this side and weight on that side, and whichever side has the most weight it tips that direction. You got that picture in your mind? So with the church, what I want to hopefully help you with tonight that has been help, a help to me through the years is that this tipping point always goes the right direction. We're going to have, if we have revival, we're going to have challenges and it's important for us to recognize the importance and the value of having the bulk of that tipping point going the right direction. Amen? Uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and we know some of them were not Israelites. They were, without doubt, on occasions affected by the actions and the faith upon God's people. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 says, and I'm reading from the, the New Living Translation, then the foreign rabble, in the King James it says mixed multitude, and the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaim, we remember the fish, we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, 
leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted, but now our appetite, appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. So it was these foreigners, we would say, or it was this mixed multitude, these people who were not Israelites, who were among the Israelites that started this conversation about how much they missed the things of Egypt. And as they complained, the Bible said the Israelites also joined in that song. In uh, considering what we will tonight, let me just remind you that there are times in our lives that we have to understand that there are tipping points that affect the church. And you, like I said, you, you've got to believe that the tipping point always goes toward the good. In his groundbreaking book, the writer Malcolm Gladwell said that the attitudes and behaviors of people have a tipping point. It can happen instantaneously, like when someone strikes a match and ignites a fire. Or as James said in his writing, behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So when we're talking about the tipping point, it's this momentum, irresistible momentum, this unstoppable chain reaction. It's what we would call the domino effect. If it swings the pendulum the wrong way, of course, that's not a good thing. You always want to be sure that your tipping point is toward the positive things of God. Unfortunately, there are many negative tipping points that are impacting our churches today and individuals' lives where this balance has been tipped toward ungodliness and worldliness and apathy and a passive attitude. And the difficult thing is nobody really knows where the tipping point is. Have you ever just all of a sudden wondered how we got here? How did we get in this situation? What happened? No one knows exactly where that is. Uh, for example, David said in Psalms 47.1, Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I mean, no, we, ha we have a lot of hand clapping in our movement. How many knows how, time, how many times that's mentioned in the Bible? Clapping your hands. Everybody say one. <laughs> I've read it to you. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. And we are, we are very, very good because sometimes our voices don't work as well. We're good at hand clapping. And yet, at the same time, uh, that tips the scale sometimes in worship. And one scripture, oh, clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We are told to clap our hands in worship once in the Bible, but the psalmist tells us many times, shout, everybody say shout, shout with the voice of triumph, shout for joy. Isaiah says, cry out and shout. 
Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Zechariah all tell us to shout. So if, if, if you're going to look for a tipping point, the real tipping point shouldn't be hand clapping. The real tipping point should be shouting for triumph and shouting for victory. It's mentioned some 20 times in the Bible, and the word, everybody say noise, in reference to worship occurs some 15 times, while the word soft is never mentioned, or quietly. When the Bible says, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength, that simply means be still and know that I'm God. He's telling us to quit talking about our problems and in silence listen to what God would tell us. The bad news is there is a tipping point. The good news is there is a tipping point. You just got to make sure that it tips the right direction. Everybody say amen. You know, I don't think some people say all that's necessary. I, I was in a Bible study with a couple last night, since y'all don't know them and don't go asking any questions. Before she came to our church, she said she was in a church and said she had to stop going into the prayer room because a lady prayed so loudly. You know, that's not a good that's not a very good position to hold in an apostolic church. I don't think all that's necessary. Well, you know, that kind of attitude can kill a local church. An attitude of, I don't think all that's necessary. The attitude, you know, breathing is not necessary, but if you want to live, you got to do it. The only kind, one kind of person that exempt, that is exempt from the command to praise the Lord. That's a dead person. A dead person. There's no praise there. They don't have to do it. So as a church body, we know that there are tipping points. As children of God, we're faced with constantly changing things that happen in our society that is continually trying to redefine the boundaries of what is or is not important to us within the scope of serving in the kingdom of God. My brother says, if you don't have any ink in your church, you're probably not having revival. If y'all know what that means. If it bothers you as an apostolic for somebody to come in church with a tattoo on their arm, just be glad that that's all you see it on arm because most of them that's got it on their arms got it a whole lot of other places but if they're coming to get right with God thank God you got some ink in your church they're the ones that's probably going to be in the altar jumping and shouting and worshiping and praising God and that's not an invitation for y'all to go do that either But a lot of things are changing. We must find firm footing that there are some things 
that have been vitally important to God's kingdom and they will never diminish in its value of preserving what we know is true and identifiable and separated as a church that identifies us with the book of Acts. Jesus Christ declared that the church established would clearly be his and would be overseen and governed by him. This is his church. He oversees this church. He governs this church. Matthew 16, 18, he said, I must, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Acts 20 and 28, he says, So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. Ephesians 5.23, he said, So the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. It's been established by, and it belongs to him. No need to try to come in and change his church. We've got to come in and be changed by him to fit in his church. Hallelujah. Having the lordship over what he has purchased with the sacrifice of his own blood qualifies him to set the qualifications and the guidelines for his church. You know, this is a quiet Wednesday night teaching session, I understand. But I wouldn't mind if you believe it saying amen. Him shedding his blood for us qualifies him to set guidelines for me and to direct me and to lead me. Man cannot assume that he can set his own standards of what is necessary to become a part of the church and determine what is required to satisfy the ultimate goal of Jesus when he presents his church to himself. No, well, the way we do weddings is you can't see the bride until she walks down the aisle. That's not Jesus. He's, he's already examined his very closely. And he's qualified them. And if they're going to be in his, he's already... He's already set the standard, and he's already said, you qualify to be a part of this ceremony of being united. It is his church, and he sets its goals and its standards. We have to openly search the scripture to be sure that we align ourselves to what he has set forth and what he has accomplished to be a part of his church. Hebrews I'm sorry, Ephesians 5.25, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church 
without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's his church. That's his standard. That's his guideline. That's his qualifications. And if you're going to be a part of it, we've got to do that. We come to the question that is of utmost importance concerning our entrance in our lives and our service in the church of the Lord and that is what things matter to him. Have you ever, you ever heard anybody say, well, does that matter to God? Well, that's a good question. If there are things that matter, then we better be sure that we find out what they are, things that matter to him. We can't allow the spirit of the world and changing times to diminish the importance of being what he wants us to be. We've been warned that this doesn't come without sincere and diligent search. You know, I've been shocked before. I have been invited to teach Bible studies to parents, children, who they raised in church that didn't even know in the Bible study where the books of the Bible were. You say, turn to Exodus, and they're, they're flipping through their Bible, you know. That's, that's alarming to me. I was probably like that at some point as a preacher's son, but not when I'm 30 years old. You ought to know where James is. That's, that's a pastor's getting off track there a little bit. <clears throat> we have been warned that we've got to sincerely and diligently search the Scripture and working, working out our salvation and getting things right with Him. 2 Timothy 2.15 says to study. Somebody say study. Say study. You learn more by studying and teaching than you are listening to preaching. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We'll consider three areas for just a moment that I believe God spoke to me about that are of concern and utmost importance in propagating and preserving the position of the church in an ever-changing world. I want to have revival in our assembly. We want Fort Smith to have revival. But I tell you what we want more than anything is to make sure that the tipping point of the way this continues is in the positive and not in the negative. Amen? And that's why the church needs you. Solid, good, old-fashioned, grounded, prayerful, worshiping, truth-loving people. So there's three areas that we're going to talk about for just a second here that I believe the Lord spoke to me about, about what is important and what matters to him. Our doctrine. Our doctrine matters. And I think all of you would say amen, but at the same time, have you ever just kind of been squeezed up into a corner to try to, to somebody try to get you to say something that would favor them a little bit in their error. 
You don't believe I'll go to hell for that, do you? We have to reinforce and establish firmly the doctrine of Jesus and the apostles concerning foundational truths of our salvation and entrance into his kingdom. We've got to be sure about a doctrine. Now, I feel like when God gave me this, I don't, I don't think I got this anywhere else but from the Lord, just praying and trying to have a revival and believe that God was going to help us. That I likened it to a three-legged stool. And there's probably more legs to this table than what I'm going to give you. But this is what it was in my mind. You know, if you've got a six-legged table, it'll stand if you move one leg usually. Or a four-legged table. Or however ever many you want. But if you've got a three-legged stool, if you move one of them, it's not going to stand up. And so I'm going to liken these three points to a three-legged stool that if you remove one of them, it's going to affect us entirely. Ephesians 2.20 says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, Wikipedia says that doctrine is simply a codification of beliefs. It's a body of teachings or instructions. Principles that are taught, positions that are acknowledged. It is a body or a branch of teachings. In other words, that which is taught. One leg is our doctrine, what is taught in our assemblies. We've got to understand that the Scripture plainly sets high priority upon the teaching of doctrine the Word of God, particularly the doctrine of Jesus and the apostles. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished in all good works. 1 Timothy 4.13 he said, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to, everybody say, doctrine. Take heed unto thyself and, to thy, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The first leg of this three-legged stool, I believe, is our doctrine. So what are some of the doctrines or the teachings of the Scripture that we must give ourselves to that sets the Lord's church apart from all other doctrines? We believe in the absolute deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everybody say amen. That is a part of our doctrine. John 1, 14 the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. First Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. We believe that Jesus is our God. 
this new birth experience? Who would question when Jesus said in John 3 and 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We believe this new birth experience is what introduces us into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then besides the doctrine, we have our identity. Everybody say identity. We're not supposed to be like the world. I don't have time to teach, of course, on all these subjects. I just want to give you a little, slight little glimpse of what I believe God has spoken to me that is important to the church. We need doctrine and we need our identity. It is an identity of separation and by virtue of the experience that we find in Jesus that introduces us to the kingdom of God, we recognize that we are called to be people that leave, live lives of holiness both inwardly and outwardly. Thank you. If I pause very long, that means I'm waiting for you to say amen. And if you don't, after a while, I start getting nervous. We believe. In this new birth experience and we believe in this experience of separation from the world we are not just withdrawing from the world we are withdrawing to the Lord Jesus Christ second Corinthians six seventeen, he says wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you second Corinthians 7 and 1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Everybody say our identity. We've got to have our doctrine secured. We've got to be on the right foundation in our doctrine. And we've got to be identified by our separation from the world. And thirdly is our anointing. Everybody say the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. It's our anointing that we get from the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. Second Corinthians 1 and verse 21, Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who hath also sealed us and gives the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. It is the Spirit of the Lord that brings anointing that can be felt and recognized and touched. I love it when people leave the house of God with the testimony, I felt something in that service. Something happened in my heart in that service. I was aware of the presence of God. I felt something here that I've never felt before. Come on, church. It's a part of our recognition as the church of God. We need our doctrine to be secure. We need our separation, our identity to be steadfast, and we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost that gives us the opportunity to represent his church as an apostolic church. Don't you want to be a part of an apostolic church? 
these aspects provide a touch of of divinity upon the church that makes it special and sets it apart from every other institution in the world. If any one of these areas goes lacking or loses its distinction, the church will not be able to fulfill what God wants to demonstrate to the world through his body, his church. If you lose your doctrine, you will lose your identity and your anointing. If you lose your identity, you will lose your doctrine and your anointing. And if you lose your anointing, you will lose your doctrine and your identity. None of these can stand without the support of others. But if you can get these right, if you can get your doctrine right, if you can get your identity right, and you can get your anointing right, God is going to manifest himself the way that he wants us to manifest him in this world. Somebody say hallelujah. Hebrews 12, 22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the, and sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. These words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what that that cannot be shaken may remain it is of vital importance to us brothers and sisters and deserves our sincere effort and our attention to preserve our doctrine to preserve our identity and to preserve our anointing I can promise you that if we'll bring those things together in anybody's life, they will not only recognize, but will have a craving in their spirit. I don't know what it is about you. I don't know what I feel in that church, but I want to be a part of whatever it is. Come on, brothers and sisters. We are needed in this hour. Hallelujah. Do y'all stand at the end of your lessons? Stand up with me if you'd like. I'm just aware, I I am aware enough to know that God is doing great things in this church. I also know that if we are not careful, we cannot give the proper attention to things that need the attention. And we can find, if, if we're going to have the revival that I believe God is giving us, if that's going to continue, we're going to find out that there could very easily be a tipping point. And it, and it brings, when, when you start getting people that don't look like us, don't dress like us, 
don't talk like us, and they come into the house of God. We've got worship in our, worshipers in our church that worship more as people who do not have all truth than people who have been in the church for a long time. They're up front worshiping, crying, praying, giving glory to God. They don't have it all together yet. And it's easy sometimes to say, well, they don't do this, and look at them. They don't do this, and they're speaking in tongues. They don't live like this, and look what's happening. And I, I don't care what's happening in their lives, except I know God will, if we allow him to keep us properly tipped in the right direction until those people who need understanding can come and find their place in the church of the living God. We've got, we've got a whole bunch of people right now. They don't have it all figured out. But when they come in the presence of God, they know one thing. There is something that brings stability into the house of the Lord. There's doctrine. There's identity. And there's anointing. And it's a stool that will stand against everything this world might throw at it. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. Brother Thomas, you wrote it on that little slip of paper when I was elected pastor of how God wanted to continue revival in Benville. And there have been visions and there have been prophetic utterances. There have been messages that have been preached that have promised that God is going to pour out his spirit in our city. And we are seeing that happen. But in the midst of that, I'm seeing the people sometimes that should provide balance in this scale. They're just along for the ride. They're not really committing themselves to the church. And if we're not careful, the scale can tip the wrong direction. We know it because it has happened, and you've seen it happen in people's lives. Ministries can tip the wrong direction. But if there's anything that I'm hungry for tonight, it's that ability to know, God, if we keep this right, the power of God is going to be manifested in a way that we cannot even comprehend. Hallelujah. Years ago, it was prophesied by many that there would only be standing room in our assembly. I have lived to see that come to pass. I have lived to see there's no parking space. You've got to have two services because you can't get everybody in the same room at the same time. I have lived to see that. But I know right now it is only the beginning of what God wants to do. But Brother Sullivan, I've got to keep this right in my life. I've got to keep that stool upright. I've got to keep the doctrine right. I've got to keep our identity. And I've got to keep the anointing of the Lord in my heart.
If you want to be a part of something like that, I know you do. I know you're here tonight because you're hungry for the things of God. Would you just lift your hands and say, God, in this mixed multitude, there's a lot of us that are coming out, but don't let the mixed multitude confuse us and affect us and change us in any way. Don't let this mixed multitude that comes out of Egypt, oh, Lord, affect us in our perception and understanding and the truth of what you want to do in our lives. God, it is a mixed multitude. They don't all understand the ways that are right and pure and holy, but I'm praying that even in this church, God, our hearts and our spirits will be lifted in faith to believe that you'll keep us in the positive side of the things of God and the church that you want to build and the lives that you want to change. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you shout as you clap your hands to the Lord? Yes. We believe, God. We believe, God. We believe, Lord. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. I hope this word has blessed you. If you are in the River Valley area and are looking for a church to attend, we would love for you to join us right here at TPC. Services are Sunday at 11 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can visit us at our website at www.tpcfortsmith.com and on Facebook at the Pentecostal Church Fort Smith. Here you will find any information you may need. Thank you and God bless.